As a developer, we get so mind complex when it comes to uh, technologies. You know, we talk about that bleeding edge of technology. And when we speak to most nonprofits, they're way behind in tech times. You know, they're still using WordPress as the default. And this is one of the biggest things we're trying to tackle is giving the developers all of that power they need to create an amazing experience while giving that nonprofit a dashboard they can understand. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss modern web development with maintainers, founders, and developers. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we got Christopher Burns from Everfun. What's up, Chris? Hey, thank you for having me. I've been a host on so many podcasts, uh, episodes of my own on FS Jam. I feel like I need to get out there and start being guests on other people's podcasts. Yeah, well, appreciate the you, you connecting. Uh, we've been connected at least for six plus months. You know, it's funny because I was actually on your podcast longer than that. So we connect. We were connected uh, a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, but do you quick want to just uh, share what FS Jam is and uh, what the what the goal is over there? Yeah, of course. We've seen the evolution of the the Jamstack starting out from you know the days of Gatsby and uh, Hugo and Jekyll and all these things to real this evolution where people are building full stack applications on the Jamstack. So that's you know a back end, a front end, all in this decoupled manner. And we saw some frameworks arise out of uh, this movement: Redwood JS at the time, Bison JS, Blitz. And me and Anthony came together and we started discussing like, what is the future of the Jamstack looking like? And it's not just static websites, it's how do full stack applications come into it? And how are they different to normal Jamstack websites? You know, something you'd compile down to standard HTML and ship to clients. And over the uh, about a year and a half now, we've been doing it. We've had so many guests on from Tom Preston Warner to Matt Billman, all the way to Mishko at Quick. Uh, so we really saw a massive breadth of knowledge. And one of the biggest things we try to get from it, as all podcasts, is that you meet the people that are making these really cool projects and understand why they're making them and how they could matter in the future of the JavaScript ecosystem. Perfect. Yeah. Well, hopefully folks will check that out. Uh, I didn't have you come on to talk about FS Jam, but I felt like there was some space there that folks can go add it to their podcast feed. So I actually wanted you to talk about Everfun and with the project you're working on currently in the Jamstack. So can you give us like the, the quick elevator pitch of Everfun? Yeah, of course. At Everfund, we're lowering the bar for developers to enable nonprofits to help them adapt to the digitalization and updating them with modern web technologies. Building powerful donation systems, marketing and operations, using headless and loco tools, and gaining uh, that developer control back in that hands of the developer where they can build a whole solution without having to worry about the server and building from scratch. Excellent. Yeah. And this is a not only an admiral cost um, for like helping out nonprofits, but it's it's pretty common for nonprofits to get like stuck into actually there's a, a story on my other podcast I chatted with um, a nonprofit who wanted to build a website. And they went to a bunch of consultants like and, and agencies to say, okay, how much? And it was always out of reach for them because the working with agencies is going to cost more money. Nonprofits historically just don't 
they don't make a profit. So they don't have a lot of money to spend on this problem. So with that said, he ended up learning how to code himself and uh, building his own solutions because like WordPress and everything else wasn't cutting it for what he was trying to accomplish. Uh, so he ended up winning Next.js for the bottom up. And um, I'm blanking on the name of the, the project, but I'll mention it later uh, in my picks. Uh, but I mentioned that because I don't think everybody who runs a nonprofit should also learn how to code. And also the folks who write code to support nonprofits shouldn't also be handing over you know, Kubernetes infrastructure to deploy or like set up custom Stripe implementations to like take payments or donations. So from my understanding, Everfun, it fits in that gap. Uh, so people can just take off the shelf. Yeah, of course. As a developer, we get so mind complexed when it comes to uh, technologies. You know, oh, we should be using the cutting edge. You know, Next.js over Gatsby two, or um, you know, we talk about that performance and that bleeding edge of technology. And when we speak to most nonprofits, they're way behind in tech times. You know, they're still using WordPress as the default. They're still going to agencies that. I wouldn't say are giving them the worst experience, but they're giving them an experience they understand because they're very limited on the technical knowledge. And this is one of the biggest things we're trying to tackle with Everfund is giving the developers all of that power they need to create an amazing experience while giving that nonprofit a dashboard they can understand. You know, to us, when we think of things like open graph images, we instantly know, oh, that's the thing that will show on Facebook and Twitter when you share a link. But to a nonprofit, they're like, what is that? And you don't want them to have to Google it. So you start explaining it in language they understand, like this image will be display on Facebook. Uh, and then they understand it. So it's about giving the right technology with just the right amount of power to the right people. And then what, what we see is the turnover goes smaller, and we see an increase in donations just from what we've rolled out so far. Excellent. So, like, uh, I guess my next question is like, what have you rolled out so far? Like, what is uh, what does the product look like today? Of course, um, we started out really quite humble as an agency that was playing around with NFC and QR code technology pre-pandemic, and we built something for one of our local charities and geos in the UK. And we really saw this massive gap of uh, taking donations in the real world. That's when we built out our MVP. And our MVP has evolved from there for sure, but its main concepts are a dashboard the charity understands and knows how to use, and a no-code solution that can be shared as almost like a link generator, like Bitly on Facebook, Twitter, to easily make buckets of donations where they can easily understand this money came from Facebook, this money came from Twitter, and an embeddable uh, no-code solution, low-code solution to put into their WordPress websites, to put into their Jamstack websites. And they're the tools that we have today. We've just finished rolling out beta to our international support. So we're rolling out more features when it comes to US charities and more in the coming uh, months. Okay, excellent. I, I see a lot of these low-code and no-code solutions, and uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued. And I'm at a position where I don't write a ton of code. I, I'm not writing full-time development work like today. So like when I go to build a new solution or a new tool, like I'm always looking to pick off stuff off the shelf, or hopefully like I've already built out the design system that I just like pick and choose what I'm trying to accomplish. So I, I'm curious, like with Everfun, how does this connect? Do I am I expected to you know spin up an entire Next.js app, or can I embed this into 
you know, my my Webflow or etc. Yeah, of course, you can embed it into Webflow. We've even got a WordPress plugin to make it even easier. We've got the script hosted on a CDN, and literally we put the snippets onto our docs saying, this is how to implement it into a React app, this is how to implement it into a Vue app. We really try to keep it as lightweight as possible in terms of the actual code uh, on the snippet, so it really does load fast and hopefully not affect your Lighthouse scores. Okay. Excellent, yeah. And I'm curious. The um, uh, we didn't actually go too much detail of like your your background as well. I'm curious, like, what got you? You mentioned the agency, but like, what got you to this point in your career to say, you know what, let's start a startup? Yeah, this is actually a really interesting question because I feel like I have a very unique perspective to a certain extent uh, because. I'm from the UK and not many people decide, you know, I'm going to make a company as soon as they leave college slash university. And me and my uh, business co-founder, we started just just rolling, you know, we, we left university, started on our first idea and we just kept going and going. And it was that thing of like, Loads of other people were like, oh, that's admirable what you're doing. And it's like five years later, and we're still holding on and still not got a real job yet. When I say a real job, I mean like, a, like a, you know, you leave university, you go work at a big company, then decide what, what you want to do with your life. Yeah. And with that, I've evolved my uh, technology skills uh, over time. During university, I knew a lot of PHP. And since university, I learned React Native, then evolved into uh, React and learned so much more about JavaScript ever since. Excellent. Yeah. And have you specifically, your, your product is targeted towards nonprofits. So, like, I'm curious, like, how do you source users at this point? Do you have a connection, already an organic connection to nonprofits uh, to make this work? Yeah. So, the nonprofit signs up to our system and then uh, they can start using it. Uh, but what we found is agencies are a really big player for Everfund because when a nonprofit comes to an agency and say, I need a website, I need a donation solution, I need all these things, an agency normally has to work out what their budget is and what they can afford and what they have to cut out or do differently to get it into their means. And when it comes to Everfund, you know, before Everfund, they would uh, have to build a whole Stripe integration themselves. So that's front to back, Stripe, direct debits, uh, monthly payments, single payments, GDPR settings, all this stuff. As you know, as soon as you go to start building these things, massive complexities start being added. You know, what about authentication, uh, two-factor support for payments? So we handle all of this stuff by default, meaning when the, the agency says, oh, um, you need a donation system, we would charge you know, uh, $5,000 to build that ourselves, or we'll just use Everfund. Um, that's you know, $200 because it's so much easier to implement. And then they're joined onto this platform. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so as far as Everfund goes, like, I know personally because I've worked with Stripe directly, but my question to you is like, why not use Stripe? Of course, I have this love and hate relationship with Stripe. I absolutely love it. And I feel like a lot of people really do enjoy it. But you have to look at the breadth of the knowledge of Stripe they've used. A lot of people make you know, single payments and that's it. They may dabble into billing. They may dabble into other things. But where the true complexity is with Stripe Connect, 
Um, and Stripe Connect to Stripe Connect Custom is when you're using all of Stripe's interfaces in a white-labeled solution. So that's what we do at Everfund. Uh, the end user is creating a Stripe account, but then we are managing Stripe completely for them. And what I find here is that there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of you know complexities that come with regulation, you know updates to uh, standards, test mode, live mode, and the biggest thing with it all is actually having to host a server. And when we speak about the Jamstack in 2020, last year's Jamstack survey, nine percent of websites on the Jamstack were nonprofit websites. So that means if they want payment infrastructure then they're going to have to host a server because when it comes to taking a payment, it's a two-side authentication method with the server and the client. So that's something that we remove with using Everfund and our our headless SDK that we're building is that you won't have to run any server yourself. And then when it comes to all of that logic, you know, all of that donation logic, all of that marketing logic, we believe it's so much more than just a payment. It's exactly the same when it comes to e-commerce. You know, it's so much easier to just pay for a product. But what about the shipping of the product? Where it's going to get from A to B? Reviews, you know, returns, refunds. All these things build into this massive uh, complex industry that is e-commerce. And we believe that when it comes to nonprofits, this is a new industry that has really not been capitalized on yet. Yeah, this, this is true. Like, I, I specifically leverage Stripe to... Be the back end, well, the, the payments infrastructure for my swag shop. So, swag that opens sauce on pizza. Currently, have it shut down because I did not want to sh- put labels on, on sticker packs and stuff like that anymore. So, don't buy anything, please. But the easy thing to do is, is, is ship stickers, like have a, a one, one cost, one product. Uh, but when you introduce things like um, t shirts, like having a, a SKU that has sizing attached to it. Like that's it's still challenging to do a stripe, and like there's a lot of layers you could put on top to make that work. And it sounds like with Everfund, like the layer which is donations, like that's what you're handling, and that's something that if anybody's like listening and like they tried to do a donation platform or did like a uh, a nonprofit, not even nonprofit, like a lot of folks do these. Uh, just recently, we had an event for Ukraine, a developer Ukraine event. So like donating and setting up that infrastructure. It tends to just go directly to like GoFundMe or Indiegogo was the other one. Yeah, when it came to that Ukraine uh, appeal by remote, um, I 100% say it's an amazing thing to do. But when you see how they handled the payment, is that no matter what amount you put in, they just rounded it to the dollar and then did $34 of quantities in Stripe. So it was like 34 $1 items. Because this is a big thing that we've found is with building our headless SDK, that I'm sure we'll talk about next, is that it's a, this really weird mix between e-commerce, depending on the scenario, and standard one-off donations, you know. Um, for example, take a sanctuary, like a horse sanctuary. Uh, you could go up as a patron and say, I just want to donate $10. Or you could go up and say, I want to support uh, this pony, uh, Justice, for $10 a month. Uh, for a year. So then that's added complexity of this like cart checkout with items that have recurring intervals. And this is whole uh, instant that we found that it's a really weird middle ground of how do you tackle it well? And this is something we're doing right now. That's interesting. I could see this um, 
things like campaign financing in the U.S. I don't know if you've ever looked in the U.S. politics, but um, don't do it if you haven't. You have enough politics going on in the U.K. that you can you're, get your fill. But uh, in the U.S., like when you do donations, like there's a cap on how much you can donate per person, per campaign, per event, per activity, and it does get very complex, especially when you go back to try to report on different stuff like that. And that, I know for a fact, like that's something that. Stripe is not hyper focused on is donations when it comes to politics, uh, but it's an angle that I think that for what you're trying to solve, like if I have to be running a local candidate race, uh, I don't know for my city council, and I want to take campaign funds, like I also have to adhere to the same campaign funding and laws. And uh, anybody who's listening who probably studies political science, uh, feel free to correct me uh, at BWO on Twitter. But at the end of the day, like I, I see, there's like a opportunity and a market for a lot of this. The other thing is like when it comes to, and I, I guess when it like you and uh, your co-founder had approached me earlier this year as you were raising funding, and I, I learned more about your your project through that conversation, and like I had a lot of like. Concerns and questions on like why focus on nonprofits, like why not just use Stripe, and like you answer all these in, in that the conversation. And I, I feel like that as you sort of peel back the onion and you realize like I do want to do something for a nonprofit, I do want to host an event for for Ukraine or etc. Then you realize oh well, this is actually I need some infrastructure, I need something to like make sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. Exactly, and it's only the start. We are going in from payments and then hope to branch out into things like marketing. That's another massive rabbit hole of, you know, you've collected all this information now. How about getting recurring donations, getting that supporter to donate again to your next cause, you know, not burning bridges because you've messaged them too often. And these are things that there's not a science to, but it's also not you know, completely made up. Like there's certain cadences that do definitely work. And we see a lot of things that happen in nonprofits is influenced by, you know, what's happening in other nonprofits around them. For example, you know, we have hospices in the UK where people go to spend their last days well. And they're very regional, for example. And then when one of them does one thing very successful, that's when the next hospice will follow on from them. So there's also this kind of like follow the leader effect. And this is very much because, you know, as an industry, they do not have a lot of money to innovate because they're spending a lot of money on their causes. And that's at the end of the day, that's what we want as a supporter is you want to know that when you donate to a charity, as much as that money is possible is actually going to the cause that you feel close to. Okay, excellent. So you had mentioned in passing headless, the headless... Um, a headless SDK. A headless SDK. So I'm curious to get into that and what that is. Yeah, of course. So uh, what we've built in our no-code tools is our complete donation solution, but we also build that UI and all that payment processing logic. And when we handed it to the medium to larger size charities... They actually loved the technology, but wanted a complete custom UI. You know, they want to control that whole flow. They may not want four pages or five pages. They may want one massive page. So it's about giving that flexibility to them customers that really want it, because not every customer will want it. You know, most customers will be happy just using the no-code tool because it's one line of code and it's done. But then the ones that really want to provide that custom experience that really know what they're doing to build an amazing donation experience, that's when we're giving them the infrastructure to do it. Excellent. 
Yeah, so I did want to talk about your your connection because your choice in using Redwood uh, to build a product. You had mentioned that in passing. Uh, curious how that's going and um, what the community is like in, as far as support and discovery. Yeah, of course. This is a massive subject that I could talk about all day. So we built our original MVP on Gatsby 2, Happy, and Prisma 1 slash Mongo. Yeah. And it was this like kind of like massive glue effect. Like we just try and smashed it all together and hope it would stick. Because at the time, I didn't know best conventions. I just picked the top frameworks that I thought would be the ones to use and went with it. And it kind of went okay. We got our MVP out. We got payments moving. We got a dashboard made. But then as we kept going, it started getting really hard to move forward because Gatsby 2 was showing its limits. Prisma 1 was showing its limits. And then a moment came along that I discussed with Anthony in an FS Jam episode called uh, When to Declare Technical Bankruptcy, was when is it too much? And uh, Redwood JS came out on its alpha, and I heard of it, and I kept it to a side. I was like, I can't use it yet. It's way too early. Uh, so I watched it on the side, carried on trying to just push through this really big pipe of not great infrastructure. And a point came where I was like, this is actually really, really hard now. Um, so we looked at what they were doing over at Redwood JS, and we decided that while it was very early to make a choice, we believed in their choice of GraphQL and Prisma 2 because Prisma 1 was being deprecated. So we believed in GraphQL and Prisma 2, and they were very early in their web and auth solution. So we decided to go, hey, look, we know our dashboard really sucks right now. It's it's not doing amazing. So let's rewrite it before it gets too much bigger. Take all the logic we can. Let Redwood JS handle the infrastructure side to it. And it was probably one of the best decisions we ever made because, yeah, I think it would have sank the company if we carried on trying to push down that tube, really. And Redwood has gone from stroke to stroke and has got much better um, every single update is now at 2.0. They've always handled breaking changes very well. And in terms of a project, I believe we uh, joined their beta on 0.9 and now they're on 2.0. So that's over 30 versions that we've, we've grown with them. And in that time, we really pushed the framework to its limits found out what it did really well and what it needed replacing. For example, our donation systems, our donation gateway that hosts that no-code solution is actually in Next.js. And because we we picked uh, Redwood.js that had the GraphQL endpoint, we can easily communicate with a Redwood backend and have that perfect uh, moment of that ISSR and all of that OG uh, goodness while getting all the benefits of this real, well-scaffolded backend. Okay, excellent. Yeah, appreciate you, you running that. Um, so I just had Anthony on the podcast like last episode, talking about QuickNode, his new employer. Uh, and he's been on previously talking about Redwood. So it's nice to get the updated you know, take, but also getting a take from folks who are deploying the stuff to production. Because like, I, I personally have a, a Redwood app, which is my admin dashboard for what is now hotopensauce.pizza. And uh, we haven't really shipped anything to, to, to that. But what I loved of, uh, about that experience is that it was so quick to get an admin dashboard up and running. 
because we already had data on Superbase. So like once figuring how to connect the Superbase to Prisma and then generate schemas and stuff like that, it became very easy to stand it up real quick. So like I envision when once we need the dashboard actual in production, because we don't need it today, uh, we'll probably go back to the well and build that uh, and start building out more tooling, uh, at least more internal tooling uh, using Redwood. We we were early on the Vite transition, so like we have a React Vite app, and we we sort of built everything else, all other infrastructure on our own and tooling. Uh, and I say we, me and my open source contributors, uh, we built this together. So it's working right now. Like we essentially have an open source framework at the moment, but there's going to be a point where I need to actually pull the record and say we're not framework authors anymore. We're gonna we're gonna choose something else. So uh, Redwood's on top of the list for us. Exactly. It's, it's this really big challenge is not necessarily when do you say this ain't good enough anymore. It's that how much, you know, quality of life, um, speed. That was a massive thing about swapping to Redwood is what we've been able to achieve just with two people as a solo developer. Uh, we have a whole payment platform with a whole dashboard and a complete experience all done by one person, um, myself and that's what we've done in the past, but now it's about expanding it to more team members. And the biggest thing about Redwood is because them fundamentals are so ingrained in the platform, you teach the fundamentals and most people pick up the rest of the, the code so, so easily. Yeah, yeah, this is true. And uh, in, in, a, in a world where I have an open source project, I take on a lot of transient contributors. So like people just come through ship a feature and move on. It's very, very important for me that the thing that people get hung up on is not the the infrastructure and the architecture of the product, but instead it, it's on something a little more nuanced and not on things like how do I build out you know, new database tables or how do I basically connect my API to my front end, which is interesting, like going back to our original our start of this conversation, which was your podcast, FS Jam, like Redwood is pushing forward with this sort of full stack jam, making it easy for folks to do stuff quickly. And uh, I think on their their website, it was like the uh, framework for startups or it was like some sort of tagline like that. And I truly believe that. Like if you want to start something real quickly, Redwood's a really good tool. Like it might not meet you for server-side rendering or meet you for some other, you know, edge network craziness or whatever. But if you just want to build a prototype and build something that you will hopefully get you past because you hit a ceiling with Gatsby 2 and, and Prisma 1, hopefully just grow with you. Uh, I think Redwood's actually a really good thing to look at right now. Yeah, and there's been so many uh, friends that I've spoken to that have been early employees at other startups and they've gone, so they've brought me in to rebuild the whole platform because they outsourced the original platform and it's just no good. I think picking Redwood as one of the, the first choices you make could be one of the most fundamental technology choices you can make. Because at the end of the day, no one really wants to sell ESLint, Jest, Prettier, GraphQL, all of this stuff every single time they start a project. They just want it done for them. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I still need to set up Prettier <laughs> for a project. I'm getting some crazy PRs from, from outside contributors and it reminds me linting is important and something that you should probably set up before you start taking contribution from people other than yourself. Yeah, and the, and the biggest thing is how do you know what the best choices are? You can only make the choices based upon your opinions. Yeah, And I think that's 
when it comes to newer developers who are not quite senior, having them choices already made for you is one of the best ways to make sure you don't then make mistakes. Because at the end of the day, if you say to, you know, not necessarily even a junior engineer, say a, a junior slash mid-level engineer, you know, go configure ESLint. Will they really make the right choices? Will they really be like, well, the code base now has zero problems or it's got a thousand problems. How do you find that middle ground? And how do you then substantially keep it going? You know, putting jest test to everything, storybook. And as a suite of tools, Redwood seems to have it figured out well. And I'm sure with enough time, it won't be the only one that does it. Excellent. So going back to Everfun, what's what's next for the future? What 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 are y'all shipping moving forward? Yeah, we're we're currently working on our headless SDK and we'll be looking for more engineers to help us soon. And then we'll be really working on the operating system of charities, you know, giving them the best tools with the least amount of users needed to manage them, you know, that communication back and forth between donors, um, making more payments, uh, more international payments, all these kind of things we're really working on. And if you're passionate about charities or even know a charity that uh, could use Everfund, I would love for you to reach out to me. Excellent. Yeah, so listeners, definitely reach out to Chris and the Everfund team and... Uh... Also, reach out if you're if you're interested in working on this problem. Sounds like they might be hiring pretty soon. And with that, I actually want to transition us to picks. Um, so these are jam picks, things that we're jamming on. Could be music, could be food related, could be technology related. It's all good and it's all relevant. So if you don't mind, I'll go first because I did get that startup founder, or sorry, that nonprofit founder. Their, their nonprofit is URAD, uh, and this is basically to give mental health services to content creators. Uh, at, originally, this person was a gamer. Uh, on Twitch and live streamer, uh, and they've like saw an opportunity and a need to fill uh, for providing mental health services to that that cohort of folks. Uh, they've since brought it out, but Jason, who's the uh, the founder, like legitimately learned how to do Jamstack development. Uh, he picked up Next.js and picked up all these suite of tools as he was googling and looking on Reddit, and was able to throw together a landing page and eventually a full full fully working site. So. He's connected to quite a few different uh, organizations, so definitely check it out, eurorad.org. And then my second pick, when we were talking about the uh, sort of like setting up systems and making less decisions about shipping your app, my pick is actually Figma. And I've actually been, I now, I'm now a, an editor on Figma, so I've been using Figma directly for open source. We currently have two designers that we've been working with pretty regularly. And uh, it just got a bit of chaos on trying to you know, keep track of designs and whatever tool and system. And as an outsider, a developer who doesn't design stuff regularly, uh, Figma is pretty intuitive for me. I spent a little bit of time learning how to use it. I also had like a little sit down with my current designer, and he actually walked me through how to use Figma, how to create a team, how to find files, how to. I didn't even know you could write comments directly and stuff. Like it's mind blowing, amazing tool. If this comparison is fair, Figma is like what GitHub is to developers, like Figma to designers. And uh, it's like proving extremely valuable and useful. Yeah, that world is completely different. And you're either in two camps, almost three camps. It used to be like Adobe versus Sketch, but now it's like, are you using like uh, Figma or are you using like Adobe XD? That's really where it's gone. Yeah. My pick would be uh, React Bricks. Oh, nice. We recently redesigned our website. 
And that was to a spec that was giving to us, a design from a design, and really adding that layout in blocks in React uh, using Next.js was actually really, really good fun. And a really nice little challenge uh, because our, our new website has like um, little little like gubbins and different layered views. So really like having to challenge my CSS skills again was a really good challenge. Yeah, and ReactBricks, is this kind of like Storybook? Just another tool similar? Um, kind of, but actually much higher level. You make a brick and then it's the CMS as well. So when you go onto their admin dashboard, you'll have all the bricks that you've made. And you can obviously like upload a photo, change the text, change the colors. And because you made all these bricks in like a playground, then your content editors can come in and say, I want that brick, that brick, and that brick. Click save, and that's the new website. Uh. Predefined from all the bricks that you make. Is really cool. I believe it's reactbricks.com. Yeah, this is a uh, fascinating because, especially in the the world that I live in right now, which is my landing page has gotten multiple iterations, and uh, we're currently AB AB testing copy and all this other stuff. That if I can create bricks to basically say, okay, here's where the feature suite is going to show up. This is where the testimonials will show up. Uh, it sounds like that's basically what I can do is like hot swap things on demand. Exactly, and. It allows you to put more pages together a lot faster. Um, you know, if you have that suite of bricks that you can literally, when it comes to making a new page, you go, oh, I'll pull that brick, that brick, that brick, fill out the content. And 90% of the time, you have exactly what you need uh, with your core uh, web bricks. But this is pretty much, you know, uh, building websites is a completely different dark arts to building a full stack application. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is true, and this is something that um, I went through this practice because, like, I my time at Netlify, we had we did have marketing sites, and then we had the actual product and product design, and uh, it is a different um, cadence, but also approach. I love building marketing sites. I'm not great at it, but I love building stuff that I think I hopefully I can convert folks. And I went down actually previous pick for a previous episode was Post Hog, and um, I've been really knees deep in like. Analytics and uh, conversions and stuff like that on the website, uh, all GDPR compliant. So if anybody's concerned, but yeah, it's 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 a whole other world I never had to be in for like years until very recently. Yeah, and it's quite an interesting one because even that standard has its um, troubles with CMSs, frameworks. You know, Eleventy, Gatsby, Next.js. Next.js is a bit overkill, but it's great for things like React Bricks, Remix. It's starting to come up with marketing websites more, and then it's all about that CSS and the animations and graphics. And GreenSock would be another one of my picks. Is that animation library is pretty cool if you get a chance to look at it, but. Yeah, it's completely its own skill set, in my opinion, is building marketing websites compared to actually building full stack websites. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we could probably go <laughs> miles long on this conversation, but I, I follow Jay, uh, who currently works at Google, does a lot of um, animations and SVG animations. Uh, and I discovered through him and also Sarah Drasner has a book out there about SVG animations. Highly recommend picking those up if you want to go down this rabbit hole. It, it is a fascinating place. It's basically a place where either I have to offload that to someone who has more experience than me or hire like contractors to, to work on this because I my skill set is not that deep when it comes to it. It's a fun problem, but I know I'm not going to be the, 
the the perfect person to uh, solve this problem. So speaking of which, solving problems, everyone check out Everfun. Chris, thanks you so much for for jumping on, having this conversation. Uh, I do hope that folks who are involved in the space or want to be involved in the space will reach out. And uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer for startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. 